podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What a fantastic goal that is from Derby! Hello and welcome along to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the independent Derby County podcast. We're here to bring you another dose of fortnightly Rams opinion, analysis and reaction. All the ups and downs as Derby make the headlines once again in what's turning out to be a memorable and truly bizarre season for our club. I'm Chris, hello, and alongside me, someone call a doctor because there's a double dose of FA Cup fever. It's uh, it's Tom and Anton, you right. right? I've been better, Chris, I'm not going to lie. Anton, <laughs> wake up, Anton, we're recording. Oh, yeah, absolutely buzzing after that performance. <laughs> um, we are recording after the goalless draw at Northampton Town, so we're, well, we're drinking to forget, to be honest, that, uh, that dour, lifeless, uneventful stalemate, which means it'll be a replay back at Pride Park for a place in the fifth round. Uh, we're drinking with a, uh, a Kyprenia, no less. Do uh, explain, Anton, Absolutely. what's what's going on here? Well, well, Tom whipped up an absolute Mexican feast while we were watching the football, which was probably the highlight of the evening so far. So... We thought we'd go with um, the classic Caipirinha Brazilian cocktail. I mean, close just enough. a general. Close sort of, enough. It's but, all over there somewhere, isn't it? But, really, but so. bloody lovely. So yeah, it's going down well. As you all know by now, uh, Steve Limmer's Washing is partnered with Derby Brewing Company, Derby's original craft brewer. And coming up on this pod, we're going to be talking cobblers. Of course, as we attempt to pick the bones out of that draw at Six Fields. Of course, we're going to be looking into the. EFL charge which Derby now face over financial fair play there's a bit of chat on the home win over Hull of course and a preview of next week's trip to Luton with the Hatters fan who gave us their views on the Rams uh, gold a month time that's come around quick and a segment that I'm just simply going to call George Thorne goodbye sweet prince <laughs> RIP uh, so we will need a replay if we're going to make it to the fifth round for only the sixth time since the year 2000. That's a depressing stat for you, isn't it? And let's be honest, Tom, there were large parts of that game, if you haven't forgotten the whole thing already, uh, where it was pretty difficult to tell which team was the lower league side in that. Yeah, I can't say anything about anything more than that, Chris. It was, uh, it was pretty dire from both sides. Um, we're obviously watching it together and it was... After about ten minutes, you knew it was going to be a shocking game. You could just you could sense almost a repeat of the Accrington game last year, where one team was going to get half a chance and like put something in in it from a set piece on a, a bobbly pitch and um and and take the win. But it didn't happen for either side, and in the end, a, a draw is probably a fair result. Anton, is there any, have you got any words to say about that that football match? <laughs> I mean, please the, please say you do. I mean, I mean the the fact that we um were genuinely considering starting the pod. 20 minutes early so that we didn't have to watch the last 20 minutes kind of sum, sums up that game a little bit. I can't, I can't really remember watching a, a worse game of football in, in recent times. I just sort of drifted off during the first <laughs> half and I just started thinking about like my big shop at the weekend, like yeah. what I'm, what I'm going to have for breakfast tomorrow. Yeah, there's not too much to say. Um, I mean, it, it's fair to say that the pitch definitely didn't help. I, I mean, there you can't 
kind of completely blame the performance on the pitch, but you could see it kind of bobbling around a lot given the fact that we're used to a, a very good pitch and a very good training ground probably didn't help but absolute toilet display to be honest <laughs> Northampton are, are big and strong and they were physical they got the ball forward um, Williams and uh, I can't remember the other guy up front um, who had the chance in the sort of first sort of 10 minutes or so but um, they, they caused a bit of problems but they they were pretty slow and ponderous and Forsyth and Davis were fairly comfortable against them. Um, so it was a bit of a nothing game. Like the ball kept getting lumped forward by them. It was headed back by Forsyth and Davis. There's a bit of a scramble in the middle. Uh, Sibley couldn't get involved and couldn't get his foot on it. Bird couldn't get anywhere near the ball at any point. Uh, I didn't realise Rooney was playing for about the first 25 minutes. And then the ball went forward to Marriott. He got hauled down through on goal. Should have been a red card. And uh, then it was the full-time whistle. So... Yeah, that was it. Was one of the most shocking games of football. Full stop. Um, poor, poor performance from Derby, but one of the most shocking games of football I've seen for a long, long time. I mean, you say Forsyth and Davis were comfortable, but I think uh, was it was Oliver up front, the second striker for Northampton. Like he was giving Fossey a bit of a, a bit of a tough time in the air. You, you won a couple of headers off him, and there was a bit of a head in hands moment where they just floated in a diagonal and he, he beat him in the air. Roos didn't know whether he was coming or going, and he ended up heading it a couple of a couple of yards wide of the post. Um, I don't think we looked absolutely assured at the back, but yeah, then yeah. with Fozzie at centre half, we never <laughs> we never really do, do we? I, I can see what you're saying. You're right. It was Oliver up front. Um, the name escaped me a minute ago, but I do think that they were pretty ordinary. Even when Williams <laughs> tore Davis apart, like in the first the first half, like he, he turned him left, then he turned him right, and then he miscontrolled the ball and it went through to Roos. It was it was just shambolic football both both ways, like it didn't look like he had control of the football himself. And then Davis looked like he was like Bambi on ice. And then the next thing you know, Roos is coming flying out of his goal and just about claiming it. It's, it was it was a shocking game. Davis and Forsyth were okay. They headed the ball when they needed to. I thought we didn't really look like conceding after the first sort of 10 minutes when there was a bit of a scramble in the box. Um, I didn't think we looked like scoring throughout the entire 90 minutes. And I I don't think there's a lot more really you can add to that. It was, a pr- it was an awful game of football. The clear talking point... In the first half, though, uh, when Jack Marriott's put through in on goal, in behind the uh, centre-back Charlie Good, who quite blatantly pulled him back on the shoulder, not not even a free kick, let alone a red. Um, try and explain that one, Anton. <laughs> the, the, the best banter of the whole game was the fact that Robbie Savage gave him the Man of the Match award at, at the end of the game, but <laughs> there's not really much more to say. It was... One of the clearest red cards you'll ever see. I, having watched that game of football and had a, quite a lot of time to just think about anything else other than watching football, I was trying to think of a, a clearer red card that wasn't given. And it was such I, a I, red card, I, it was I, almost I, purple. It, 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 it was one of those, that it was such a bad decision that it was actually quite funny <laughs> watching it back and thinking how both the referee and the linesman could have missed that. It was just absolutely bizarre. The fact that the... Everyone on the TV, there wasn't even a debate about it. It was just yeah. everyone was unanimously saying it's a red card. It's, it's just a strange decision, really. And, it, and, th- and that would have clearly changed the probably the result and, and the way the game had gone. So it's, it's a big decision. It is an absolutely appalling bit of officiating. Like from the assistant on the far side who doesn't see that Marriott's hauled back, from the, the referee who doesn't see that Marriott's hauled back. It's, I can't even put into words how bad that is and how shambolic some of the refereeing decisions are you don't need anything like VAR for that and we talked about that after the last FA Cup game you just need a bit of you just need to be bloody looking at the football game Marriott is dragged back 
Good pulls him up, pulls him down. It's a red card. Um, there's not even a debate about it. And yeah, it, it didn't change the game because I, I still think we we were very poor. Um, but at the same time, like it, that's the only talking point in the game. And like, sh- yeah, shocking, shocking. In the third round, it's a VAR decision that helped turn the game in Derby's favour and got them on a one 0 win away at Palace. Um, no VAR in in this tie um, because. Northampton is a League Two ground and Sellers Park's a Premier League ground. But do you not think it makes a, a bit of a mockery of the competition and the VAR, the fact that it's in some games and not others? Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I, I, I'm strongly of the opinion that you should either have it in every game or you shouldn't have it at all. Uh, but that decision shouldn't need VAR. It, it's just a, a clear decision that if you're a professional referee or a professional linesman, you should be seeing that. So... Regardless of VAR or not, that should be a red card. I know it's quite hard to pick out good performers from that Derby team. Um, Charlie Good got man of the match on BT Sport. Uh, I thought Jason Knight gave it a good go for for what it's worth. He he had quite a lot of space, actually, in the first half. Um, Almost at times so much space that he didn't quite use it as well as he could have done. Um, And a couple of times where he, he, he opted to like drill it low and hard across the box. Maybe just on the play the percentages and, and just just keep it low and put it in an area rather than risk using the technique of wrapping his foot around it and maybe spooning over the bar on on what we've said before was not a very good playing surface. Um, was there anyone else who stood out? I know before the game, Tom, we were talking about how we were pretty excited by by the lineup. Um, Marriott and Martin up top together, the three young midfielders in there together, um, with Rooney playing in amongst them as well. There were concerns about about the back five, but it looked like quite a a dynamic uh, front um, front part of the team with players looking to take their chance. But I think it's fair to say that no one really nailed down a place against Luton. Yeah, on paper, I think Koku gets this right in terms of selection. I quite like the selection. I was I was was positive about it at the beginning of the game. It clearly didn't work for whatever reason. It's not Koku's fault. That's the player's fault. Um, Knight did okay. Um, the the best bit that he did, I thought, was the drive through into the box in the second half. Um, he got inside the fullback and uh, ran in there, and he cuts the ball back behind the goalkeeper. And the player that's close closing closest to that is Scott Malone. He's a bloody left back. Where's Martin? Where's Marriott? Like where's even Sibley? Like like driving into the box from there everyone's standing around and watching Knight do his do his business um, gets into the box brilliantly and no one reacts to it and that was epitomised the Derby performance tonight of like standing around watching someone else do a job on a difficult playing surface granted um, but it was really frustrating to watch and I think Knight was probably the best of a bad bad bunch I'd still wouldn't give him much more than 6 out of 10 though I don't remember that uh, second half Second half chance. I think that was when I got. I think that was when I'd gone for like a twenty-minute break to go and get a drink. <laughs> no, I, I, I thought just, he'd gone home, Chris. But <laughs> I just, I just, I just went and looked out the window for a bit. You were, you were going and cooking us some chores. I mean, keeping the Mexican uh, dream alive. So, Anton, we all want to see Martin and Marriott work up top, but it's, it's not really happening, is it? It's just they're just not really gelling. Um, Marriott's getting it behind occasionally. Martin is drop is dropping deep to to lay the ball off but again like they they just do not look like they're playing in the same team yeah i, I must say when i saw the the marriott martin rooney um prospect up front it, i did think it was pretty saucy but um it just didn't work it, I, I i don't know whether it's because they haven't really played together 
very much at all or whether it's just because they're just not on the same wavelength um time will probably tell to see if if Koku tries it again I would love it to work it, it seems like it would be a good fit with Martin kind of holding it up flicking it on and Marriott getting on the last man it didn't work today but maybe that was just an anomaly um I'd like to see it tried again uh, in the league yeah I think the thing that Derby really lack is a bit of consistency uh, in that lineup, and I think that it would be nice to see Marriott and Martin maybe starting up front again on Tuesday night, um, and certainly again very soon in the future, um, just to try and get a partnership going because I don't think there are partnerships through that team at the moment. Wow, got almost 15 minutes out of that game. That's, uh, that's a bit of a turn up, isn't it? But before the Northampton game, uh, there's another another home win against Hull City, of course. I'm, I'm glad we stuck one over on them because we went to Hull earlier in the season. It was a tight game and we ended up losing 2-0 and it's just one of those complete sickeners where I thought we were in that game, Tom, you were there with me. And then you look over at those Hull fans just completely losing their shit when the first goal goes in. It's, just, it's a complete slap in the face. So I was glad that even though that also wasn't a great game, um, settled by essentially a goalkeeping error that we still got one over on them. Um, but the goal that did come floated from a corner Big Matt Clark sticks his uh, sticks his big bonce on it. How much of that is due to him, and how much of that is due to just uh, you know the keeper just not being decisive and strong enough? I think uh, Clark does well actually physically. To, to he jumps and competes with a couple of whole players, and uh, he gets himself up there and he just redirects his header and he redirects it downwards. So even if the keeper had stuck on his line, I think I think the keeper would have saved it had he been on his line, but it wouldn't have been a comfortable save and it would have been parried into a dangerous area plenty of bodies around there it could have gone anywhere but keeper comes for it gets nowhere near and Clark rises highest and uh, it's nice to see us scoring from a corner I think that might be the second one of the season if I'm uh, a header as well yeah I mean that must be yeah first or second yeah it must be our first header goal of the season well Jason Knights was was counted as a header when he got kicked in the face from from a yard (laughs) but uh, yeah first proper header I I thought that was off his shoulder (laughs) yeah but but fair enough I mean we don't look good enough at set pieces and um and it's great to see that Clark has scored one. So, and other teams also have goalkeepers who uh, just lose their shit every so often. It's not just Kellerus slash Ben Hamer. So, I think a bit of perspective needed from everyone on um, on that one. But there were eight changes made in this game at Northampton from a team that beat Hull. And we were talking during the game time about the fact that if you asked us to to pick Derby's best eleven right now. None of us are really sure what it is. Um, I don't think that's Koku's fault necessarily, but when you consider the fact that we've got a lot of players who are in their more advanced years, um, you know, players like Martin, like Huddleston, like Rooney, along with players who are very much at the start of their careers, like Knight, Sibley, Whitaker, Bird, who are also going to fluctuate in form because they're, they're young players and that's what happens. Uh, do you just think that it might be quite difficult for us to see a settled derby team like at all in any competition between now and the end of the season. Yeah, I, I do. I do think that that's the case. Uh, I mentioned about five minutes ago, their lack of partnerships in that derby side. Um, I think the the comment was made, I think we made eight changes tonight. I think we made nine for the Crystal Palace, Palace game. It might be the other way around. Uh, so forgive me, but I wasn't necessarily shocked by any of the names on there like you could play anyone of like Wisdom Davis Clark Forsyth in the back uh, in the the centre-back partnerships 
um, in the back four. You could play Bogle or Wisdom at right back. You could play Malone or Forsyth or, or, or Lowe at left back. We haven't got a standout player in any of those positions, but we've got plenty of players who can do a job there. And that's that's the difficulty Derby have had. Like We haven't we haven't got a... I don't think there's anyone who say, right, who's your first team and uh, first name on that team sheet? I don't know. I, I don't well, know. probably apart, apart from Rooney, but I t- I take but, but even so, I don't know. Like, I mean, really, he's not he's not torn torn the division apart so far. Like, he's, well, done, he's, he's only done played okay. a handful of games, and you can see yeah. he's clearly got class. Like, it's not just about his, uh, you know, his, his numbers. You can see that he is having effects on the team, and people are raising their level around him, even yeah. if he's not delivering goals and assists. And, and fine, yes, I, I see that. But at the same time, if we took Rooney out of that team. Or we've added Rooney into the team. We're not significantly better than we were back in October or November when we didn't have Rooney. So he's not had that sort of like huge impact that perhaps some people thought he might have, and we sort of doubted. I do agree. We we look a a bit sort of more organised and a bit sort of more pleasing on the eye, but there's not been a massive change. And if we drop Rooney out of there, I don't think you'd notice too much if you put Tom Huddleston in there when Huddleston's like fighting fit. So. I don't think there is a there isn't anyone that I would say yes you're a nailed on start every single week and I'd even go as far as saying that to Bogle because Wisdom for me has been the best player of the month in January so he's the right back at the moment on form. I actually think there are a few players who have started to establish their um, place in the team over the last few weeks certainly as our as our performances have picked up. So if, if you look across the back line you'd obviously say Ben Hamer is a shoe in a goalkeeper at the moment Max Lowe at left back um, Matt Clark's definitely the the first choice centre back Bogle is the first choice right back the the other centre back is is probably up for debate at the moment I'd like to see Wisdom get a bit of a run um, but you can definitely have an argument for Davis in, in that position as well Rooney's a definite shoe in um, for me he, he I know what you're saying, Tom. He's not kind of ripped it up, but the organisation that he brings and the leadership that he has on the pitch is just on another level. And I think he will come good as he as he builds his match fitness. Dwayne Holmes is another one who who is a probably a guaranteed starter at the moment as long as he's fit. The other midfield position is probably between Bird and and Huddleston. But but I think depending on the opposition, you you can play either of those um, depending on how kind of much the opposition press in okay. in some ga- games Huddleston and Rooney will work yeah. as it did against Palace but in some games you need more energy in there but can you put Knight in there as well and this is the this is the thing I'm saying like there are so many players in so many different positions so you go well we could play any of those and it'd be okay like it, it, it sounds like as we said at the Northampton game it sounded like a good strong 11 tonight and I was pleased with the uh, the, the 11 that Koku named but equally, it could have been a totally different eleven, and I might well have been equally pleased. I just think there's so much fluidity in that Derby side at the moment. I don't think there is anyone nailed on. I, I disagree. Tell us on Twitter, if you like, um, how many of Derby's players are certain starters. I would probably agree with Anton and say Rooney, Bogle, Holmes, maybe Clark, possibly Hamer. Uh, although kind of shock you didn't think Ellerus was that bad tonight um, he literally caught, dive. He's catching he literally caught crosses three to five times yeah, um, <laughs> yeah and his diving was, was, was <laughs> chokes in a couple of hilarious dives which which always uh, always enjoy watching what, um, what about forward line I mean again this so, Waghorn so Martin what, or Marriott so I'm, I'm going to say Jason Knight is, is a guaranteed starter at the moment as long as he's playing well and, and kind of keeps fit if, if Marriott is fit then he would probably be the number one striker, but he's he's definitely not a kind of shoe in. You, you're probably going to have to rotate him with, with the others. But the other wide position, 
yeah, it's not a guaranteed starter at all. Plenty more to dissect in the second half of the pod. As I said, you can follow us on Twitter at Steve Bloomer Pod. We're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Just search Steve Bloomer's Washing. And uh, coming up in a sec, we're going to be talking that cash money, of course, with the stadium sale, profitability and sustainability. We all work out what amortisation means. And uh, we also talk Luton and Gold of the Month. Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky-Solido. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. Right, so that's that over with, thank God. Um, part two, Anton, you, you, you double parks now, what's, what, what's going on? you got you got a beer there and a cocktail that's apparently called a Paloma. What's, well, uh, what's I mean, I mean I've gone for the slightly left field, but I think good decision of a side beer with with my cocktail um, like it. i love the i love the cocktail actually it's uh it's actually growing on me i wasn't too sure at first it's a big night in the ramshack it's a mexican night for no reason whatsoever <laughs> god bless t over here was he mexican? The, the classic argentine footballer yeah but he came from mexico didn't he so i can't remember the team that he came from but i'm sure it was mexican any but, other any other mexican connections to derby uh tweet us no, at yeah. steve Lumpard. <laughs> uh, so i thought you were going to tell me about the paloma i was like i need to tell the Tell the listeners, they must need to know. Nah, that's all right. Oh, fine. They can Google it, it's fine. <laughs> uh, so you may have heard, it's been mentioned once or twice, that Derby have been charged by the EFL over excess losses between 2015 and 2018, putting the Rams allegedly in breach of profitability and sustainability rules. Um, there's a lot to get our heads around with this. Plenty of huge numbers. Uh, some of them are disputed. Some of them we know are true. Some of them we don't know if they are. A few terms we haven't really heard of before. And plenty of uncertainty about who will win this legal fight or how badly Derby could be punished. Um, but thankfully, he couldn't be with us on the pod in person. But uh, here's Richard Kutcher with his own summing up of Derby's EFL charge, what it means and what happens all in 100 seconds. Start the clock. When the EFL charged Derby County on 16th of January of exceeding the £39 million threshold for losses over three years, the league provided no further detail on how or how much by. It was Derby's statement, released the following day, that provided further detail on the two charges. The first is the sale of Pride Park Stadium for £80 million to Rams chairman Mel Morris in June 2018. Despite DCFC saying the league approved valuation and sale of a stadium at the time, the EFL is now arguing that valuation was inflated with its own independent review reported to be closer to 50 million. The EFL's second charge relates to Derby's unique approach to amortisation. In short, amortisation is the way in which a company writes off the cost of an asset over time. With regards to players, most clubs do this by spreading the cost of the initial transfer fee over the lifetime of a player's contract. Derby's approach, which came into effect in 2015, gives the club more flexibility to reassess and allocate a player's residual value, ensuring the player asset does not reach zero at the end of their contract. As such, this can reduce the loss of the player's value in the accounts. Again, the club is claiming the EFL was notified of this new approach in 2015 and the league made no objection. The EFL clearly believes that if not for an inflated stadium sale and disingenuous amortisation, Derby would have recorded in excess of that amount, although the exact figure is not yet public. An independent disciplinary commission will now hear representations from both the EFL and Derby County, and the Rams defence is expected to rely on the league's prior approval of both a stadium sale and approach to amortisation. If Derby is found guilty of breaching FFP, then the club can likely expect a point deduction of between the nine points Birmingham City faced in March 2019 and up to 15 points at the higher end. 
So our argument, Tom, apparently, is that we had the stadium... I don't know if I'm going to get through this. I've been drinking all evening to talk about these complicated legal issues. But um, is that we had Pride Park independently valued by a professional, mm. reputable valuer. Uh, the EFL were made aware of this at the time. They knew what we were doing. They didn't raise any sort of issue. Um, the club said it was discussed extensively with the EFL executive. And uh, they agreed to our value of only a minor change to it, apparently. So presumably not knocking off the uh, 30 million that has since been, the figure that's since been banded around. And similarly, with the player amortisation, the EFL knew at the time what we were doing. They knew the practice we were using. Was it right or wrong? They didn't seem to have an issue at the time, our version of uh, creative accounting, and they didn't question it between 2015 and 2018. And it seems that's why we have defended this so vigorously. I mean, it's it's an incredibly strongly worded statement from the club. And the best line from it was that they said, um, the club cannot retrace the steps of the actions it legitimately took in good faith as a result of EFL approval on both matters. The EFL can choose to correct what they now see as an error in their decisions. However, it cannot punish the club for its own errors. The club should therefore vigorously contest the charges and the EFL's legal right to bring them. What was your reaction when you heard it had happened? Uh, the first time that I heard that we were obviously under getting charged by the EFL for financial fair play, I was obviously shocked um, because we'd sort of been told by Mel Morris and various people at, at Derby. Even I think John Percy mentioned it in the interview that he didn't think that anything was coming anytime soon. And then the following week, it it, it was at at the club's a club store, and um, so it's a bit of a bit of a shock. But then actually reading through Derby's rebuttal to it and hearing the fact that we've got written evidence supposedly we obviously haven't seen it of the EFL ratifying the stadium sale and checking over it and making a minor adjustment and then also being aware of the amortization of the players uh, player purchases I, I can't understand how I'm, I'm now a bit annoyed and frustrated and I'm really seeing that if they if the EFL decide to take Derby Sheffield Wednesday uh, Reading and all the other clubs on for this. There's going to be there's going to be a massive backlash because clearly I do think that Derby have been a bit murky and the other clubs have been a bit murky with their accounting. There's clearly something that's maybe a bit dodgy about it, but it wasn't breaking the rules when they did it because they, the rules they, didn't exist, and so therefore you get away with it. That's just the nature of business, isn't it? It's a bit like the 32 Red thing where they they invited clubs to make their own contract deal and Derby came up with a star player contract uh, clause and we got 1.5 million for signing a star player. It's not our fault that we're better at negotiating a deal than Leeds or Preston or Middlesbrough or whoever else is sponsored by 32 Red. Um, and the same for the EFL not foreseeing these loopholes within the within the rules that they've set out you can't go back on something that they have ratified and if they've written that and said that yes this looks okay they can't go back on it and if they have I really hope that Derby vigorously contest it my then worry is about the point deduction if the EFL take take this on because I, I understand it's 11 points um, and then it gets take reduced or um, increased depending on how how vigorously the club uh, defend it and how aggravating they are we will go all the way with this and I think it will go beyond the first court case it will go beyond the second court case and it will go to the highest 
case and caught in the land to to try and work out what's happening and i think we could see a i really think we could see the beginning of a breakaway here at the efl splitting up because this is this is big business we're talking about lots of money and efl clubs and premier league clubs are so far apart now in terms of money it's impossible almost to get in there and stabilize unless you break those rules like wolves did um getting promoted a few years back the way that the efl have charged us and the way that derby have really dug their heels in and said, hang on a minute, and issued this, a, a rebuttal in the strongest possible terms, means, and so on, that either way, one side is going to come out of this very badly. Yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I think Tom hit the nail on the head by saying that what we did was probably not necessarily right, but that the fact that the EFL supposedly signed it off means that if that if that is true and, and they have signed off, we, we are kind of completely within our rights of going ahead with those um, those actions. What the, the ruling, as Tom kind of br- briefly mentioned um, before, is that any uh, breach of the FFP regulations leads to an automatic eleven point deduction um, in in your. Um, league points and then the EFL can make a decision if, if there are any aggravating factors or um, kind of whatever the opposite of aggravating factors is they, they can either increase that deduction or reduce that deduction so we saw that with Birmingham I think last season or the season before yeah, they, they they got a 10 point deduction because was they it were, nine was it nine or ten I think it was 10 it might be, it might have been nine but but the the reason for that was because they got an 11 point deduction but they they held their hands up like kind of pleading guilty in court to say we we, we know we've breached ffp and the efl recognized that and and kind of reduced the the sentence as it were by either one or two points the fact that we are fighting it so strongly as you say chris that could lead to kind of either a really serious points deduction on our side or kind of a, a complete um, complete U-turn from the AFL, so so we could be we are re- realistically getting... facing I- either a, a zero-point deduction or much much worse than. An so we're either getting cleared deduction. or we're getting shafted. Yeah, I, I um, think I think um, when was the valuation of the stadium? I, I read somewhere maybe it was July 2018 that it got valued, and then it was sold a little bit after that. Uh, I might be wrong with the dates, but that it's been a. It's, it's not it's not relatively recent it's not like it was a few months ago it's it's been at least so sort of, i think a year that it's it's sort of been valued and then then sort of gone through and it's it seems a bit the efl are coming at this and I, they've come at it for me the wrong way and i really was really pleased at the rebuttal that derby made because it made me feel much more comfortable and confident with the, the way that the club had um has obviously been run because we've been told by the the figures in the club that there's nothing to really worry about like we're confident with the, uh, the FFP regulations and we, we should meet those regulations and we've obviously been cost-cutting as well because we haven't seen the the sort of uh, purchasing of the players etc that we've maybe seen uh, in the last few years and the way the EFL have now just suddenly brought these charges towards Derby it, it made me actually quite angry and I feel very strongly about what the EFL are doing I think they've done it the wrong way well, I think doing the wrong way well, to Reading as well. The fact is that Steve Gibson is taking legal action against the EFL for their ineptitude and failure to act on these things. So the EFL are having to be seen to be more militant, to to be ruling with more of an iron fist, as John Percy told us. And that's got to be a factor. That can't just be coincidence. But in terms of Derby, 
themselves, whether it's upheld or not, this this complaint, I think the very fact we've been charged and the very fact that we have had to sell our own stadium to ourselves to create loopholes in how we value our own players is is just sort of years of, of chasing the Premier League dream coming home to roost, really. I mean, even with other clubs doing it as well, like Birmingham and Reading and Sheffield Wednesday and Villa, I think we can all agree that if we we wouldn't have to resort to these practices if we were a bit more organised and had uh, you know had our stuff together a bit more. And I think if you and and if we hadn't basically overpaid for players who just have not delivered, there, there's a a list of players that we've spent obscene amounts of money on who have, in terms of return on investment, have have delivered absolutely nothing. You look at players like you know Nick Blackman, two and a half million plus wages, gave us nothing whatsoever. Akechianya, four million pounds plus wages, gave us fewer than 40 appearances in four years. Abdul Kamara, three and a half year deal, a million, 1.5 million plus wages, gave us next to nothing. Along, And that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's, there's arguments to be had about how much we got out of Bradley Johnson and Jacob Butterfield and Marcus Olsen and, and players like that. And I know that we did get money and profit from the likes of selling Jeff Hendrick to Burnley for 10 million or whatever it was, and from selling Tom Ince to Huddersfield and to Will Hughes to Watford, although not for as much as some fans would would like. But all of this comes from... Do you think part of this is is just paying the price long-term for, for constant chopping and changing of managers and constant squad rebuilds over the past six years? Yeah, I mean, I, I do completely agree that it's it's certainly not a sustainable way to to run a football club kind of having to rely on things like selling the stadium and and finding these loopholes in the system shouldn't be the way that you get around ffp you should be able to run a club more sustainably than that but i i think the main thing that's come out of this and and not just derby's case but but other clubs as well is the the ineptitude of the efl right you've only got to look at the the irony that is that if a club gets promoted, like Wolves or Aston Villa, they're suddenly immune to any charges out because, picture, be, yeah. because they're out of the EFL. So it's no no great surprise that clubs do try and take that risk to to get promoted because not only do you get the the prize of the 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 financial benefit of getting into the Premier League, and obviously the the, the fans get to play, play uh, kind of support their team in in the Premier League, but you also get to kind of be completely irrelevant to these EFL charges. It, it's it's a bizarre way of, of running the football league. Something has to change. Um, I'm I'm definitely not su- supportive of of the way that Derby has been run, and it, it's not a sustainable way to to go forward. But but something has to change with the EFL. I just think um, yeah, I totally agree. Something has to change, and you you go to. Um, the likes of a sort of TV deal and Mel Morris uh, campaigned very strongly a couple of years ago about the the amount of money that TV uh, Sky TV give championship games and uh, I can't remember the exact figures but it was something like you get a hundred and thirty or hundred and forty thousand pound for being on TV in it on a in a championship game and you think okay Leeds against Derby Forest against Derby Forest against Leeds Sheffield Wednesday Leeds whatever th- those those are some big clubs in the championship hundred thirty thousand then you go. All right, Brighton Bournemouth on on TV. They get one point two million a game. So there's suddenly a huge amount of money being pumped into a Premier League game, which actually, no offence to Bournemouth and Brighton, 
they're, they're not got the same supporter base. There are more people watching the, the Derby, the Leeds, the Sheffield Wednesdays, the Nottingham Forest, the countless other clubs in the Championship who are who are better supported than watching this Premier League game. But the amount of money the Premier League teams get is is astronomical in comparison. Um, that's not fair. Like how It should be done on the sense of how many people are likely to watch this game. Because, no offence to Bournemouth, no one wants to watch them. There's, they get about 11,000, they're in the Premier League. They haven't extended their stadium because no one really goes to... No one cares and no one watches them. Like Leeds or Derby or Forest, as I keep saying... They would get the they would get the supporters watching them on the TV, but they don't get the money from Sky. The EFL haven't negotiated the TV deal well enough, and as a result, we are significantly undervalued as an EFL club. Um, and it makes us it makes you resent the EFL, and it makes you want to be out of the EFL because you don't feel valued for it. If you get to the Premier League, you could be a smaller town club, and you could bankroll yourself like like Bournemouth have, and they've got Russian backers um, who spent a lot of money on a lot of players. Um, despite their sort of small stature, and they've been able to do that because of the TV money, because of the promised land of the Premier League. I think that's a bit, a little bit harsh on Callum Wilson and Nathan Ake. Oh well, yeah, but I mean, could you imagine Nathan, Nathan uh, sorry, Nathan Ake and Callum Wilson going to a, a club like Bournemouth? I mean, Bournemouth are bottom of the football league, as were Swansea a few years ago. Like these are these are small town clubs which have got a de- decent fan base and a loyal fan base, but historically they are third and fourth division clubs. And they've been had had some money injected. They've got themselves into the Premier League, and they're there. And I love I love watching Bournemouth. I I enjoy Eddie Howe's work, despite their struggles at the moment. But I do think that the money that is paid for the Premier League TV to watch some of the games that you you get there is ridiculous compared to the amount of money you get for the Championship. And I have no problem with the fact that no one has a divine right to be in the top flight because Derby certainly wouldn't be a team that has a divine right to be in the top flight. But the difference from Premier League to Championship is is too big, and that gap is too big, and the promised land is therefore such as like sort of carrot dangled in the wind, and everyone goes for it. Only now and then one team can get there. Wolves got there. Wolves have got away with it, and look at them—they're flying. But there are plenty of other clubs who have tried and have failed, and Derby are one of those. I I guess well I guess it comes down to supply and demand for the TV money, and it's a product that's that's able to be sold around the world. But if I can just wrestle it away from your apparent hate campaign towards Bournemouth um, can... I like Bournemouth I don't, I don't want to I don't want to be anti-Bournemouth there I was a bit there but um, didn't mean that and ask you something about Derby and what might happen to us I mean a um, we've talked about a possible point deduction there um, very quickly Anton what do you think will happen what's your hunch it, it honestly could go either way. Um, I, Without any of us I've, knowing I've, any of the I've, legalities. I've or. got a bit of a nasty feeling that the EFL will make a bit of an example of both us and the other clubs that they are investigating at the moment, which could mean a, a, a pretty high points deduction, um, which which could can genuinely lead to a, a relegation dogfight th- so, this season. We, we're, what, thir- 13 points? So a nine-point deduction would um, at the moment take us down to 28 points four points above the bottom three uh, Barnsley on 24 although they have a much worse goal difference um, minus 19 compared to Derby's minus seven I believe although we do love losing away games 3-0 as as we all know we're 16th right now after 28 games and our last six games include playing all of the current top four, or the, albeit three of those games are at home, where our record is actually really good. 
Tom, how bad do you think this point possible points deduction would have to be for us to be in genuine relegation trouble? I agree with Anton. I think if I can uh, swear here, the EFL are going to fuck us, and I think we're going to contest it this season. I actually think it might be something that goes over to the over to next season. I think that's the real worry for me is that we we con- we get fined and we get a points deduction. We we challenge it, and then next year we get fined, and it ends up being sort of twenty points. So for this season, I'm not too worried, but it's the future that I am worried about and I think we really need to, to stand up to, to what we're getting and as long as we have the legal backing um, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to win but if we do get a, a points fine this season and it and I'm wrong with that I think it's anything anything above like anything that puts us back into contention with like the Barnsley uh, who I think are on 24 points at the moment um, I think we're good enough to stay up uh, even now if we're competing against Barnsley, Luton, uh, Wigan down there I think we'd have enough points but if we drop five or six points below them just think the the knock to the club that it would have and the impact on maybe the younger players, um, it could really derail our season. So I think if we get the the worst case of a 20-ish point uh, deduction, I think we're in real trouble. If we get a nine point, I think we're fine for this season. Could we at least have 20 points deducted, get relegated and then win League One with 135 points, do you think? <laughs> Imagine how many goals Wayne Rooney would score in League One <laughs> if he played up front. <laughs> well, we thought he'd bang him in in the Championship, but he hasn't scored any yet. Maybe even Jack Mario might score in League One. Who knows? But Then look at Sunderland. Sp- that's true, that's true. <laughs> Speaking of League One, uh, it's Luton next. They, It's not going well for them, is it? They look in... Uh, with a very real chance of going back to whence they came. Um, but... Derby's trip to the bottom club comes around on Tuesday at uh, Kenilworth Road. So we asked journalist and Hatters fan Matt Storey for his analysis of Luton's season so far, where they are weakest, and as a neutral, what he thinks of the hot mess that has been Derby County this season. And here's what he told us. It's safe to say Luton are in dreadful form. Um, we've won two games since the start of November, which isn't good. Um, they've both been against Charlton and Wigan at home, which are poor sides in games you should win. Um, we are dreadful at the back, and there's no two ways about it. Um, Simon Sluger, who made the two errors at your place, has inexplicably found his way back into the side, so you'll target him, and, and he made a mistake in the Forest game, but I doubt he'll lose his place. Whoever plays at fullback has struggled this year to stop the cross. Um, the centre-backs haven't either stepped up um, so we are a team that ship goals. I think we are on course to concede the most ever goals at this level at the minute, which would be 99 or 100 in a season. So you have to target us there. What's gone wrong this season? We lost our two best players in the full-backs and it's really harmed how we play. Um, I don't think the, what happened with our managerial situation helped and, and Graham Jones hasn't necessarily done a good job either. Um, our recruitment went away from signing young hungry players and towards signing championship journeymen and that hasn't worked. Um, so it's been a disappointment but Luton can still finish 21st, um, given the kind of remaining home games we have. Uh, Stoke, Wigan and Barnsley all have to visit Kenworth Road. So there's a chance and finishing 21st would be a success. Derby, uh, the player I'm most excited to see is Wayne Rooney, to be honest. Just seeing a former England captain at Kenworth Road in the league game is is ridiculous, given where we've come from. Um, I'm surprised at how Derby have done this season in terms of dropping off. Um, But I do like the fact that they've stuck by Coco so far, because often you don't see that. And I am looking forward to seeing Curtis Davis return to Kenworth Road for the first time since he left us, and Chris Martin as well, um, because as a 19-year-old, he scored goals and came to a club who were in dire straits, so I respect him for that. In terms of Derby's EFL charges, um, obviously it's complicated. I like... 
I don't like to see clubs lose that much money. Um, I think it's badly run, and while your owner may be well-intentioned now, you get bad owners to do that, and that's what kills football clubs. Um, are the EFL useless? Yes. Do they need to do more, though? Yes, and, and I wouldn't be upset if harsh uh, deductions maybe were put on Derby because it might help Luton stay up, as bad as that is. So they've got the second worst home record in the league, Tom, the leakiest defence in the championship and the worst goal difference in the championship by a distance. Surely, surely this will be the game when we finally win away in the league for the first time since the opening day. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. Come on, have a little faith. All right, yeah, so Derby are going to win 2-0 and it's going to be comfortable. Jack Marriott will score twice. Good. No, that's, no, that's not going to happen, is it, Chris? Because <laughs> we're going to lose 1-0 to a scrappy 84th minute goal, not have a shot on target, and it'll be awful. Uh, as long and we as paid 32 quid for the privilege to see behind a pole. I think as, as, <laughs> as long as Simon Sluger plays in goal for, for Luton, they, they might score for us. So That's true. That is very true. He's an awful goalkeeper, isn't he? Like, I'm pretty sure me and Kutch could do a better job than, than he does. Like Every time I see him, I'm like, Jesus, he is a calamity, old Sluger. That is really not saying much. And <laughs> uh, yeah, so it may happen. It may not, but uh, one player did actually have a spell at Luton last season. I feel we have to mention him, maybe just for one last time, uh, George Thorne. R.I.P. Uh, the saga is finally over. He's, uh, he's left Derby County permanently. Just a, a real pang of, of, of sadness for me, Tom. I, I don't know what it is. We've talked about him plenty of times and that he did have this connection and it's all very much a case of what could have been. Um, do you think he'll ever reach the heights for, for Oxford that he, that he did for uh, for Derby in that loan spell in 13-14 after the injuries he's had? Quite simply, no. Like the, the the man's legs must be gone. The fact he can't... He's had such bad luck with injuries. Like broken leg twice, I believe. Uh, crucial ligament injuries. Like, he's done both ACLs, hasn't he? Yeah, it, it's really tragic. And he was... He was uh, just watching back some of the uh, videos that are seen on Twitter about him scoring goals for for Derby and some of the, the play that he, he made, you, you almost forget that goal against Huddersfield, the way he brought the ball down, then just like hammers it into the top corner. Like the goal against Brighton and the, and the half volley, even the one at Doncaster, I think it was his first goal for the club. Like just technically just sort of strokes the ball into the bottom corner from like 25 yards. So that, that's class. And I thought he was the, I thought he was the real breaker for us when uh, we signed him. And then five or six days later against St. Petersburg over in Austria in a pre-season friendly Van goes his knee, and that's that's, that's well, it. Wrong, it? It's, do, it's all been. He was the biggest. Him and his Craig Bryson's five-year contract and George Thorne, two of the most exciting moments. As I, as I, yes, we're going to do this. Like getting Craig Bryson after he didn't, if it looked like he might leave after that player final defeat, and then um, and then George Thorne signing on a permanent deal when we were like, oh my god, we're going to sign this guy. He wants to wants to join us, and they've been the biggest anti-climaxes of. I think what's symbolic about George Thorne is that he had that great loan spell and uh, and a bit of a spell in 15-16 when he actually made like about 30 appearances. But it's not really that you remember him for at Derby anymore. It's um, It was 14-15, wasn't it, when he had the injury and we rushed him back in the 2-2 game against Watford when the season was already going to shit because Martin was injured and we were like falling off the pace having been top in November. And I've got a point with this. I'm going somewhere. <laughs> I'm going somewhere with this. And like we, we, Thorn started surprisingly, 
but like broke down after 20 minutes or whatever I think correct me if I'm wrong and then was out for another long period I remember that that was being as being particularly bleak and then the um the home game against Sunderland under Rowett when we lost 4-1 that I think he played in that game and he was pretty pretty awful in that game from what I remember they all were but he looked particularly off the pace and not the player he was it's a real shame isn't it Anton yeah, I mean, you, you've covered it completely um, between the two of you. It's a huge shame. It, he was such a massive prospect when he joined and it's it's a really sad story. Um, I wish him all the best at Oxford. I, I hope he can um, kind of at least recover some of the, the great qualities that he did show um, at, at the start of his spell at Derby. Um, I, I agree with Tom. I, I don't think he'll ever be, be the player that he was, but um, hopefully he can really really kind of revitalise his career at Oxford it kind of almost sums up our recruitment either unlucky or horrifically bad I mean Christian Bielik I, I still he, he's got great numbers I think on uh, his carries and his tackles in, from midfield but still yet to really properly be convinced by him spent a lot of money on him um, and then he breaks down with a, an ACL injury in an under 23 game when he arguably doesn't necessarily need to play he only playing because he got stupidly sent off because he lunged into a tackle, which was perhaps a slightly harsh red card. It, it just sums up Derby over the last. It's all a very Derby County chain of events, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, I mean, it probably happens to every club. I don't know. I don't follow them enough, but um, but yeah, it just feels very frustrating. And I wish him all the best. Also. It is a ridiculous number of ACL injuries we've had in recent seasons. I I, I can't remember the exact it's, stat, but I, I read 10, it. It's it? something like ten yeah. in the last five seasons yeah. or something ridiculous, which is. Absolutely yeah. insane for, for any. Forsyth and Thorne have suffered about half of them between it, the two it, of them. Is that is that something to do with the the training pitch or? But it doesn't happen in in training though, does it? It happens in in games, and that's the thing. So it's not like even you can go right. Well, some of them I, are. I think it's just bad fortune. Some of them are impact injuries. Some of them are turning badly. Some of them are training ground injuries. It's it's just a it's it's, it's a mixture of things. But um, goal of the month. Let's get that one out of the way. Um, it would just be nice one month if we had more than two or three decent goals to choose from. Maybe we'll get that for the end of the season. But can I start off my first one? I think. Uh, well, this this Wag- isn't this isn't one of those months. Yeah. It's basically a two horse race. Waghorn against Barnsley. I love the fact that uh, Andre Wisdom bodies somebody out the way. I love that sort of like strength from Wisdom fizzes it in. Yeah, the, the chest run is uh, as I think I said in the previous pod, the NFL style chest off, and then fizzes one in, and Waghorn finishes brilliantly. Great goal. Right. It's either that or Anton, um, little Dwayne against Borough. Yeah, to be fair, we, we've got a genuinely really good goal this month in, in Dwayne Holmes' volley. Not just um, one we're picking for the sake of it because we had to choose one. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about George Thorne's goal against um, Brighton earlier. It's, it's very similar to, to that. We, we've got, we, we don't need George Thorne anymore because we've got Dwayne Holmes. What, what a strike that was. Um, I love Dwayne Holmes anyway, as I, it's probably come through on, on podcasts in the past. But what, what a goal. And for me, there's only one winner. It's a shame that he's done that once this season and that's it. That's all I'm saying. And suppose he hit his shin. But yeah, it, yeah, I agree. It, he, he's the goal of the month for me as well. There we go. Dwayne Holmes gets the full house. Um, I think it's about time to wrap it up there, but not before some trademark Steve Bloomer's washing trivia. We haven't done a where am I for a while where two of us have to guess an away ground in England based on a series of clues. Uh, Anton's doing the honours this time. He's rigorously checked 
that this isn't an away ground we've done before. So Anton, take it away. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'm quite glad I'm I'm not taking part in the quiz this week because uh, my performances recently haven't been quite up to you a, done a, a, justice, decent, a you? decent standard. So being the quiz master probably suits me this week. Cutch like um, in your performance, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So so I I have got a stadium which. Um, Chris and Tom are going to have to guess. So I'll run through um, each of the clues in order and they'll have to kind of buzz in virtually um, to, to make their guesses. So th- the first clue is that this stadium is 98 miles from Pride Park. Chris, London Road, Peterborough. Incorrect. Uh, Tom, Carrow Road, Norwich. Also incorrect. So Derby have played nine games at this <coughs> stadium. Three wins... Three draws and three defeats. That doesn't really help. Um, Chris, the KC Stadium Hull. Incorrect. That's, I like that guess. I'm just trying to think. Nine games obviously suggests it's a new stadium. I'm going to go uh, Reading, Majeski Stadium. It's a good guess, but not correct. So next clue is... And you were right, Tom. It is a new stadium. Our first trip to this stadium was in 1997, and it ended in a thrilling three-all draw. Chris, um, is it the John Smith Stadium, Huddersfield? Incorrect. Oh, I thought that was it. No, a thrilling three-all draw. So 97 was our first season of the Premier League. Uh, oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. Chris knows what it is. So I. So oh. you've got a free. You've yeah. got a free guess. I'm going to have to push you. You've got to come up with something. If not, I'm going to move on. Uh, so, next clue, if you're not going to go. No. Nah. No. So, next clue. Derby's trip to this ground on the 2nd of January 2008 saw the stadium's lowest ever Premier League attendance. Chris, the Reebok Stadium, Bolton. Chris has got it correctly. It's yeah. the Reebok Stadium. Have some of that. So, I went to, um, the only time I went to the Reebok was in 078. When I was in I was in the home end as well and it was an awful game midweek in February or something and Bolton won it one nil when like the ball just got launched up in the air. I think keeper came. I wanna say I wanna say Roy Carroll missed it, something like that, and like Stelios or Kevin Nolan or something like just prodded it in. I think it was Stelios and Craig Fagan should have won it for Derby about two minutes before. He had a guilt edge chance. It was on T V, I seem to recall. Um, and I, I just had to stand there and suck it up, surrounded by by Bolton fans. It was a yeah, it was a pretty awful, awful season that one. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah pretty awful. Thanks for persevering with us tonight. Uh, we know it was not a game for the uh, for the history books, one for the purists in the FA Cup, and uh, we'll be back with another podcast on Tuesday, the fourth of February. I mean, please God, let us have just more than one goal to talk about in a single podcast. Um, Until then, don't forget to subscribe to the pod. You can find us on SoundCloud, on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. But until next month, Anton, good to hear from you. Cheers, Chris. Great quizzing. Tom, cheers. All the best. And uh, so cheers before we go. Cheers, boys. See you again soon. (laughs) 